podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast. Buenos dias, everybody. My name is Jose Pelliser. I'm the Global Head of Investment Strategy at MNG Real Estate. Welcome to episode two of the Real Estate series at the MNG Investment Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about sustainability. During most of my career, I've seen sustainability gain traction very slowly in the minds of real estate investors. But the world is changing. I would even say that capitalism is changing from shareholder value to investment with purpose. Countries are regulating more heavily and investors are pledging that ESG will be at the center of what they do. Is this a pipe dream? Is this just greenwashing? In order to cast some light into this, we have Nina Reed, who is the head of responsible property investment at MNG Real Estate. Nina has been at MNG for over 10 years and brings a breadth of experience and enthusiasm into the topic. Nina, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jose. So, you must be really happy that after a lifelong career in ESG, you are in the spotlight, aren't you? I mean, I think, yes, it's very exciting times for those of us that are have been working in ESG for a long period of time, seeing um, the sort of awakening um, of the industry to uh, ESG issues and its sort of increasing importance in terms of investment decision making. Mm, and it's industry and it's also governments, right? Yeah, industry, government, but also I think individuals as well, which is I think been one of the key reasons we've seen um, such an awakening from governments and, and businesses is is the reflection I think of um, individuals, particularly I think off the back of the climate marches that we saw um, a couple of years ago. Um, very much individuals are starting to ask questions, um, you know, of companies, of businesses and of governments. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that there's also probably a generational change. So people who are now 10, 20 years younger than myself probably are really seeing a risk uh, in the world um, uh, on climate and uh, and, you know, how that will affect their future. Now, let's move into more your own story or your own history. So describe your journey um, at MNG or your professional journey in general in the last 10 to 15 years you've been working in the field. Yes, yeah, so I um, uh, started my career in sustainability. Um, I was working as a sustainability consultant um, advising um, businesses and at, at the start of my career, lots of businesses kind of were very much only just at the sort of very beginnings of thinking about sustainability and, and what it meant to them. Um, and I joined um, M&G um, 10 years ago now. Um, and I think when I joined very much um, that there, there was a kind of sustainability approach within 
the business, um, M&G, and what was Prepim was one of the, you know, very first fund managers to really be thinking about these issues. Um, but I'd say definitely what we've seen over that sort of decade is essentially it moving from being a fairly property management sort of day-to-day energy reduction type program to now being, I think, you know, our interactions are with the fund managers about fund strategy and future proofing and very much about the sort of implications that ESG uh, will have on fund and asset performance. So, I think that that's sort of moving from, yeah, the the sort of nuts and bolts to perhaps being very much sort of front and centre into how we manage our funds and how we think about um, the buildings and their performance. Yeah, exactly. Because in order to in order to achieve results, you really need to be strategic, and the guys making the decisions have to be engaged. Otherwise, you know, it just doesn't work, right? So, given the the experience of the last year or couple of years. Do you think, I really have to ask you this, but uh, do you think that uh, the ESG mania is uh, here to stay or you think this is just a temporary thing? I mean, I think it's it's sort of interesting kind of seeing that actually during uh, the pandemic when, you know, you could perhaps see trends falling away. Actually, what we've seen is a strengthening, I think, if anything. I think there's more focus on ESG even through the period of the pandemic than there was before. And I think that probably reflects that it is a trend that is here to stay. Um, I think we're seeing such enormous commitments from, um, you know, financial services organisations such as ourselves, um, but also, you know, corporates like Microsoft making incredibly ambitious kind of carbon uh, reduction targets. that I think the, the trend is here to stay. I think hmm. the interesting thing is that um, we, we've had this period of very ambitious commitments, and now we're kind of moving into the, you know, that's got to that rhetoric has got to be followed up with action. And I think that will be the really um, challenging part of can we achieve these targets as fast as we need to. Yeah, exactly. I think um, MNG has been very public in announcement in announcing, or MNG Real Estate has been very public in announcing their commitment to go to net zero in 2050. But this is a tall order, right? So a lot has to be done in order to achieve this in terms of retrofitting buildings, etc. Yes, I mean when we look at the kind of pathways that we expect buildings need to hit to achieve net zero. Um, it, it will require, you know, mass retrofit of the building stock across the world. Um, and also, as we get closer to 2050, um, you know, it, it will require incredibly uh, ambitious reductions uh, in the energy consumption of buildings. And, and ultimately, probably um, the built environment now, if if we are to achieve those targets, will be incredibly different by 2050. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 actually what I was going to to uh, I was going to ask you, right? So, the built environment, buildings will be different, but not just that. The way we use them, the way we um, go to work. So you so 2050 will look very different to today, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it will look very different in terms of 
you know, the built environment itself, because probably to achieve the sort of targets that we're setting and also the fact that I think we will continue to see changes in the way that uh, people interact with buildings and also their expectations of them will continue to change. Um, You know, we could see quite buildings being built very differently to manage the energy and carbon targets. And also, I think the other thing that will have to change invariably, and again, we've already seen the sort of starting point of this, is the relationship, I think, between um, ourselves as, as building owners and the occupiers of those buildings. So, I think one of the things that has become very apparent to us as we're starting to look at, you know, some of our market-leading buildings in terms of energy and carbon performance is actually we cannot achieve you know net zero without the buy-in and support of the occupier and I think it would have been unthinkable five years ago that you would have clauses in your leases that would require occupiers to run a building probably to a maximum energy consumption but but that is probably where we're going and probably over the next decade we'll start to see that with other things as well like offices I expect that we'll start to see you know more requirements from occupiers about air quality and air movement um, particularly off the back of the pandemic but again off the back of the sort of wellness well-being trend that we'd already started to see pre-pandemic as well. Hmm. Yeah, that that actually for for the listeners who are not in the real estate industry, they think that this is just a landlord's task. But it's totally true that if the occupier doesn't, if you are if you own a multi-let office building with several occupiers, and um, you want to achieve net zero, they have. To contribute to that through energy reduction on their own, water recycling on their own. Otherwise, that's not going to be achieved, right? No, I mean, it's it's very much going to be a sort of partnership with the occupiers to achieve this. And I guess, you know, as a building owner, it's quite exciting to see corporates setting their own net zero commitments because essentially it provides a very clear market for us creating product that that delivers those occupier ambitions. I think the hmm. challenge for the market will be that uncomfortable period where the nature of leases and the relationship between landlords and occupiers will need quite significant evolution um, to achieve the outcomes that both parties want. So, yeah, absolutely. And not every occupier has the same ambition. Uh, you know, if, uh, a small company is not the same as a, as a large listed corporate. Now, can I move to um, something else I wanted to discuss with you? Um, so, in terms, one of the myths, so one of the key narratives about ESG is the relationship between ESG performance or energy performance or water performance, right? Let's call it ESG performance or environmental performance. Um, and investment performance. So, is that a myth? Is there a positive correlation there, or, or there is something? There is some reality behind that claim. What's your opinion? Um, I think that in in general, where there have been kind of studies around um, green buildings, particularly, and um, you know the impact that that has on the value and actually what we what generally those studies find is that um 
in general, valuation is higher for green buildings than it is for uh, non-green buildings. And actually, you generally see an increase in rental income and occupancy. One of the challenges, I think, is that we have a very sort of unstandard market in terms of real estate and certification. So not every building has a certification. So actually, one of the challenges is, um, you know, people don't necessarily understand the performance of the buildings in terms of um, greenness. And therefore, that's quite difficult to price in. It's quite difficult to draw conclusions about how that's playing out in the market. I think what we'll find is that we're about to move into a period where there's, you know, we're already seeing it from investors. There's a much stronger focus around green building certification. And also we're starting to see, you know, the regulation ramp up. So Hmm. this sort of, um, you know, depreciation at the lower end where buildings are difficult to, they're they're energy inefficient, um, they're not market ready. I think, again, we're sort of seeing the the effect of that. So I expect that we will probably start to see an even more marked effect over the next five years or so. But the, the certification business has always been a bit of a mystery to me. The British have their certification, the French have their own, the Americans have their own. So is that all the same thing? Or, you know, are, are they comparable? Or, you know, so so a lead building, which is the American certification, and a Briam building, which is the British, um, are they the same thing? Or is it totally different? Do we need to get some standardization in this topic? I mean, I think uh, definitely for ourselves as a sort of global uh, real estate manager, we would very much like to see a bit more standardization in the market. And I think our investors would as well. Um, and there, you know, there have been studies to compare um, the different certifications against each other. And um, broadly, they are similar, Briam and LEED and most of the other sort of major certifications, but there are differences between them. Um, And I think, again, sort of on that theme, as we start to see, you know, more people wanting to label buildings as net zero, for example, again, um, there isn't really a certification that can be used Mm. at the moment. Um, And ideally, we would like something that would be sort of globally applicable and comparable um, Mm. for ourselves so that um, we can sort of understand our buildings globally and how they're performing. Um, I I expect that probably won't happen and you'll probably get sort of regional pockets of Mm. um, certification. And people like you will have to strategize from a bottom-up perspective what the right pathway is. Yeah. And I think, you know, our our approach to date has always been trying to marry up, I guess, what our investors um, want and what the occupiers want and to try and, you know, be led predominantly by what is a certification that the occupiers most recognise in those markets. However, as we go forward, it may be that um, some certifications may end up having more investment value than others, uh, and we will start to move to those. Okay, so therefore, um, investment managers or property owners who don't do that type of work, who don't retrofit their assets, are going to suffer over the next 15 years. Would that be your view as well? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think we're going to start to see greater differentiation in the market between 
buildings that can easily be retrofitted or already meet the sort of, you know, growing kind of net zero or green building certification standards or well-being as well, I think will be quite important. Um, and those that uh, either can't be retrofitted um, at all or it's incredibly costly and difficult. And I think we will increasingly see, you know, valuation differentials in the market uh, of those and those managers or owners that are, uh, you know, not well prepared could be caught out with the market changing quite rapidly. Okay. So, and the last thing I want to talk about today actually is the social. So, we talk about ESG. In the real estate business, we tend to talk mostly about environmental, but obviously there are, um, you know, social aspects to real estate. Um, so, has this, the social emphasis of real estate changed in the last 10 years? And, you know, is the net zero pathway, does that have in itself a social impact, uh, which could be positive or negative. What, what, what do you think about this, Nina? I mean, definitely, I think the trend that we've seen is that from our investors, the queries are still weighted towards the environmental, albeit I think we are starting to see a sort of, again, a growing awareness from investors about the social impact that um, their investments can have broadly and then also specifically within real estate um, and ourselves within our sort of responsible investment approach to real estate. Social issues are a sort of key component of that. I guess the challenge with the social aspect is you have to tailor your social programs to the asset class that you're dealing with. So, you know, in shopping centres, we're talking about predominantly about, you know, are our assets accessible um, to everyone within that um, community, um, running of community programs, you know, that are tailored to the sort of demographic uh, and the market of those assets. Yeah, um, but in whereas, residential is the complicated one, isn't it? Yeah, so then residential, our programs are uh, focused about creating a sense of community at the assets, so obviously running events pre-pandemic. Um, but during the pandemic, um, you know, we've been doing sort of virtual reach outs to our occupiers, uh, sending newsletters. We've been training our on-site teams about, you know, how to be a mental health first aider. So first point of contact. Um, mm. So there's, you know, there's huge amounts you can do in the residential space. And then I think in offices, um, again, you've got the community programs, but also particularly, you know, the, the office occupiers mm. focused around that well-being piece that we spoke to earlier. So I think, um, you know, what it means to think about social value does differ by the asset type. And then I think you've got this bigger social value, social impact trend that you're seeing about investment into asset classes that are providing a sort of more social good. So, you know, affordable housing, healthcare, mm. um, education type assets. Yeah, exactly. And I think that those probably merit the conversation uh, of the, on, on their own. So, Nina, I think this has been a fascinating conversation. So, um, thanks so much for having been at the podcast. And everybody in the audience, thank you very much and have a very good day. Muy buenos días. This podcast is for investment professionals only. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode.